All right. Uh, welcome to America This Week. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Walter Kern. Walter, uh, a lot of stuff in the last week, as usual. Yeah. I think there are really two, two big events. One at the beginning of the week where we had the release of, I guess you could say, the long-awaited report of special counsel John Durham on the origins of uh, Russiagate. And then in somewhat of a surprise news story, there was a uh, a hearing of the Weaponization of Government Committee yesterday involving three FBI whistleblowers, one of whom um, I interviewed last year. Uh, and th- I think there are, there are things we can say about both of these things uh, that will flow into um, uh, a discussion of the the piece of literature that we picked to talk about this week, um, which is the great loyalty oath crusade. So I guess let's start with the, the Durham report. Um, I, I was probably much more obsessed with the Russia story than, than you were for most of the last six years. I was obsessed with it too, maybe from a, a slightly more, uh, transcend, transcendental, uh, point of view. Um, I wasn't down in the weeds with it. Right, yeah. I mean, I guess we yeah, we we also weren't talking as regularly back then. I yeah. mean, I, 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 you know, this this was a major event in my life. I mean, it was probably the reason I'm not working at Rolling Stone anymore. Um, I I think I saw the writing on the wall when I saw how the company was responding to, you know, my inability to deal with that story, um, the way they wanted to do it, and. So I became obsessed with well, what actually happened, and it was very difficult to get sources on, about this, um, about this story. And so there, there would have been a time, I think, maybe three or four years ago, where a lot, all the information that's in this report, uh, would have been like manna to heaven from heaven to me because I was, you know, we were all lacking all those answers. Like, what? How did this thing start? Um, what actually is behind it all? Um, so there's a little bit of an anti-climax to some degree in reading some of this stuff, but at the same time, uh, it, it really, it fully exposed the entire Russiagate era as, as a fraud and there was no response. It just landed with a complete thud. Nobody acknowledged it. Nothing. I mean, I don't know. What was your, what was your response to it? Well, first of all, you called it long awaited. For me, it was so long awaited that I had forgotten it was even coming. And secondly, though it would have been nice to have this information a long time ago, the truth is we had almost all of the information a long time ago. What we didn't have was the certification of the information by a, you know, a, a government authority, by a legal authority. But, you know, Lee Smith wrote a book, The Plot Against the President, which largely included most of these points and details, which come down to this for me. Uh, This was an investigation which led to the, you know, crossfire hurricane, which led to the Mueller investigation predicated on really nothing. Which led to the the, the New York case, by the way. Yes, which led led to the New York case. You're right. You're right. Uh, And so what we found out was that there was no there there from the very beginning that uh, a misreported bar conversation with 
as low a level a Trump person as you could have found um, was the basis for this, you know, great madness that the country went through for you know, every broadcast practically that Rachel Maddow did for headlines across the board um, for a kind of preoccupation with the Russian threat that exists even today, really. I mean, um, and it was also uh, shown, I think, in the report that there were many, many points at which the whole thing was questioned internally and could have been ended and wasn't. It, it, it was, in, in terms of literature, a document about inertia and cognitive dissonance and doubling down and going on, trooping on in a uh, crusade that had no basis, uh, but which developed its own logic, its own momentum, and its own necessities. But basically what we had was a Hillary Clinton-generated uh, attack on Trump, which became a legal and governmental uh, initiative that grew and grew, and which couldn't be stopped, and which really, I think Durham did a good idea, a good job of showing, reached to the highest levels of the government. Apparently, everyone was briefed on the reality of this thing uh, early on, very early on. All the highest authorities knew it was bullshit, and yet, for some mysterious reason, it flowed like the mighty Mississippi. Well, mysterious is being generous, isn't it? Yeah, mysterious is being generous. It's being diplomatic. Uh, in a way, I guess it, it became necessary that the system vindicate its, uh, itself by finding that which could not be found and um, asserting that which could not be proved to the point that the moment where it mattered passed away. President Trump's no longer president. All of the harms that were done by this thing have been done. They changed our history. They changed our media. They changed our, uh, they changed our sort of sense of information and why, why it's important. In other words, the disinformation complex that we talk about over and over on this show is in some ways predicated on the heinous uh, act that goes back to 2016, in which the Russians allegedly, you know, penetrated not only the country, but the campaign of Donald Trump to such a level that we have to build all these defenses against it ever happening again, except it never happened in the first place. Right, right. Which I think is, we were speaking off air which to you is is like what i mean it, it's it's a little bit like going back in time to 2001 uh yeah it's it's like and it, changing it's like, one minor little fact right right <laughs> it's yeah. as though you somebody put up their hand in 2009 or so and said we've just investigated 911 and found out it didn't happen it was a uh, a video <laughs> uh it, it it didn't actually occur but all of the wars and uh, effluent activities that came from it are still in place and 
we need to protect them. Um, it, 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 yeah, it was, right. it was the ultimate, oh, that, um, and, and, and you talk about how it, the, the, the Durham report has landed to a kind of silence. Well, what other option do people who've won Pulitzers for reporting on something that didn't happen have, but to be quiet? I, I mean, they can't really argue that it did happen now. Um, and they can't really argue that well, we should be able to report on things that didn't happen as though they did because the issues themselves are important. And getting Donald Trump was such an overriding concern that making stuff up uh, w- w- was called for. So, I mean, they're stuck. Um, and everybody just has to troop on in this strange double think way in which we know it didn't happen, but it was very important anyway. Um, and we had to cha- we had to change our system and our values around to, to to accommodate this thing that didn't happen. Yeah, there there would be no way logistically, even if they wanted to honestly handle this, um, handle this information. I mean, what would you do? What would would you have? Would you would you have a special broadcast with where Lawrence O'Donnell goes on the air and says, um. You know, in light of some new information, basically everything that we've talked about on this channel for the last seven years, we're going to have to retract or, you know, right. um, and or start over or reconsider. You know, I mean, there were there were so many stories that now are no longer valid and there would be no place even to start for even for the most um careful of these organizations i wouldn't consider the cable stations to be i I have no expectations that they're going to go back and do anything but the new york times i'm sure there are a few editors who have you know some desire to go back and try to repair this but what do you do i mean like you know there's a passage in this in this report if we could let's just read a little bit of this passage so uh this is all about the original meeting between the Australian diplomat Alexander Downer mm-hmm. and the very young, I think 28 year old Russian, I mean the 28 year old uh, Trump aide uh, who had just uh, joined the Trump campaign and uh, basically couldn't, as you said, could not have been a lower level figure in the campaign. So the whole predicate of the investigation is based on, what happened in the conversation between these two people. Now, when the, I'm going to, I'm going to go back in time a little bit and talk about um, the news story that made this, uh, this moment in time, uh, a crucial piece of history. There was a, uh, a big feature in the New York times on December 13th, 2017. The headline was how the Russia inquiry began colon, a campaign aide, drinks, and talk of political dirt. Uh, and then it goes on to say that, that um, unlike the, you know, what uh, Trump had said, 
Um, it was not as Trump, as Mr. Trump and other politicians have alleged, a dossier compiled by a far, former British spy hired by a rival campaign. Instead, it was firsthand information from one of, of America's closest intelligence allies. Interviews and previously undisclosed documents show that Mr. Papadopoulos played a critical role in this drama and reveal a Russian operation that was more aggressive and widespread than previously known. It talks in this time story um, about basically Papadopoulos telling Downer, um, mentioning dirt, mm-hmm. mentioning thousands of emails um, that the Russians allegedly had. So now let's read from the report. Both diplomats, I'm sorry, uh, this all comes from one paragraph uh, in an application for a FISA warrant that the FBI submitted to the FISA, the secret FISA court. It was the fifth paragraph. So they called this the paragraph five information. Um, And here's from, here's the line, the, the paragraph from Durham's report. That's key. Notably, the information in paragraph five does not include any mention of the hacking of the DNC, the Russians being in possession of emails or the public release of any emails. In addition, when interviewed by the office, Downer stated that he would have characterized the statements made by Papadopoulos differently than Australian diplomat one did in paragraph five. According to Downer, Papadopoulos made no mention of Clinton emails, dirt, or any specific approach by the Russian government to the Trump campaign team with an offer or suggestion of providing assistance. Rather, Downer's recollection was that Papadopoulos simply stated the Russians have information and that was all. Uh, and then it, he even went on to say that um, that he wouldn't have characterized. He, uh, Downer also said that, quote, he did not get the sense that Papadopoulos was the middleman to coordinate with the Russians. So, again, let's compare that to the headline. Uh, you know, a campaign aide drinks and talk of political dirt. There's no dirt. There's no emails. There's no Russians. But there uh, were drinks. Uh, we, 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 there we, were drinks. It, so. it, it, it remains true that the two had drinks. So, so, so it's all bullshit. And uh, now it's been traced back to its source. But Durham also talks about how the Clinton campaign uh, launched an effort to link Trump to the um, to to the DNC leak, um, and 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 Durham criticizes to vilify him. Yep. Yeah, Durham criticizes the FBI and so on for not investigating this uh, campaign effort, for not being skeptical about it, for not subjecting it to any reality tests whatsoever. Um, which makes me wonder how this Downer thing happened so serendipitously. In other words. It sounds as though there was a decision made to tar Donald Trump with Russian connections. And then you also had this alleged meeting at which drinks were actually consumed if nothing else happened that that supported that narrative. Uh how did that happen exactly? I I I guess I'm unclear on the timeline. They wanted to get they wanted to get Donald Trump attached to Putin, and they also had this drinks incident that allowed them to do it. Which happened first? Um, 
So the the drinks incident allegedly happened in on May 11th, if I'm not mistaken, of 2016. Um, and when was the DNC? The meetings hacked? were documented. I'm sorry, they were documented by Downer, but on on May 11th, uh, two, 2016. The DNC hack, I'm I'm not sure. I have to go back because that timeline always confuses me. It's one of the reasons why I never talk about. You know, Aaron Mate is the one who who is. Uh, gone over this timeline a million times. I, it's always confusing to me um, when that happened. But the the significant thing about what you're talking about is that this whole um, piece of information about um, not, which they allegedly got by intercepting basically a, a Russian intelligence communique, or they did some kind of analysis um, of Russian intelligence. Mm-hmm. That um, the Russians claimed that that approval took place on July 26, 2016. Mm-hmm. That this plan was approved on July 26, uh, 2016. Crossfire Hurricane, the FBI probe, opened on July 31st, 2016. Uh, CIA Chief John Brennan conveniently does not recall if he knew about this plan on July 28th, when he met with Obama, Mm -hmm. like, in other words, what you're, what you're suggesting is, is it's a very serious uh, and legitimate question. Um, Does this thing with downer, is it, is it, you know, connected in some way to, to this, what they call the Clinton intelligence plan in in this report? There, there isn't any great evidence for that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know that anybody went to Australia and 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 suggested that they forward on some kind of complaint. But but we're Um, we're down. But were Downer and Papadopoulos just in the same bar together, or was Downer there to interview Papadopoulos, the Sub Rosa? I forget how that those communications came about. I think they met twice actually. Mm -hmm. Um, But one um, thing one thing that was amazing in the report was how hard they went at Papadopoulos, knowing. And 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 they did know that they had almost nothing initially, but they decided they were going to keep going at Papadopoulos to try to get him to confess something or say something uh, injurious to Trump. And they went at him with, uh, you, you know, other people and, 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 and tapes and attempts to get him make a mistake or so on. Literally dozens scores 200 times 200 times and still didn't get anything all they got was all they got was some some guy making a report that said uh his denial seemed canned quote unquote and weird quote unquote um but they had absolutely consistent and endless uh chances to get something from him and they failed every time um and the the thing that drives me crazy about this is the implications of you know this more broadly do we want the fbi sending confidential human sources into political campaigns and saying hey you know um what do you think about committing this crime (laughs) or you know uh wouldn't it be great if if this illegal thing happened in our favor and 
you know, taping that and forwarding it to, to the FBI and doing God knows what with it. I mean, people aren't paying attention to this because, again, it's Trump. They don't care. The, the, the broader implications of this. Conveniently, a lot of this happened abroad. You know, um, it, it, the drinks were had in London. In other words, uh, how can I put this? The, there, there is a, you have an Australian diplomat and you have drinks in London and you have a lot of international intrigue, which had it happened in the United States, um, might not have been kosher, I, I guess. And, uh, uh, the whole, throughout the Russia gate, and Mueller business, uh, there was a sense that not only were our, because, because I never bought it from the beginning. Okay. I'll just put it out there. It never met any evidentiary standards that I, as a journalist held. Um, and so I was watching almost in horror from, from the beginning as, as you might have at Rolling Stone. I was a, I was a political commentator for Harper's magazine at the time this stuff got going, I was at the Republican convention at the end of July. And as it, as it took on more and more monstrous uh, proportions, and I found myself increasingly alienated, Harper's and other places ran cover after cover uh, and, and story after story, which, which rapidly didn't even treat this as an investigation. This was one. The, the, the funny thing about the Mueller investigation was that it was one whose conclusions were all were all prejudged. Um, people were merely waiting for Mueller to prove what they already knew in journalism. Uh, it, it was an article of faith that it was all true. It was just we're going to find out the details when Mueller time finally comes around. Yeah, re remember um, Maxine Waters. But finding the evidence, yes. But it really was one of those um, cases in which the crime had the crime was known, the sentence was being considered, but only the evidence was lacking. And America basically waited in some kind of vigil in front of MSNBC and their copy of the Sunday Times to find out exactly how this crime that they all knew had occurred had had worked and the first you know the first the first disappointment was of course that it didn't lead to any convictions or any real consequences in in, in a court of law except for tertiary or secondary characters how until now the crime is still assumed to have happened I don't know. I mean, it's been so long since the uh, since there was any mm. substantive reason to believe in any of it. But it has gone on almost like a religion, and, and and now this Durham thing comes along, and it's as though they said the resurrection actually never happened. But wait, we've got a whole church built around the notion that it did. Um, are we to destroy the church, or are we to move on from the niggling question of whether the resurrection happened. And, and it seems that the institutional decision across the board has been that the church is far more important than the event.
Well, I mean, where have we seen this before, right? I mean, it's Seventh Day Adventism all over again. I, it, you know, it's it's the Great Disappointment, which which was the Mueller report. Um, and well, let's pr- predict a new end of the world. Um, and you know, which is which is going to be when Trump is finally put in jail, and they just need a new theory of how that's going to happen. It doesn't seem to matter to anybody that. You know the original predicate of this was, you know, there was there was nothing. It was just vapor. I've seen a lot of people comment on the fact that hey, you can't say there was nothing there because there was a meeting in the Trump Tower with Natalia Veselnitska and Trump Jr. And it doesn't bother anybody that this was a year forward in the process that they, this manufactured FBI investigation had already been. Um, a year in the making before they ever stumbled upon that piece of information, which I don't think is very significant anyway, but whatever. I mean, there's a little bit of bad optics and, you know, being willing to accept, you know, potentially some dirt on a candidate uh, from a dubious source, but all the candidates do that stuff. I mean, all the campaigns will do nasty oppo research. None of the information about how the original, story came to being no matter how devastating the information is the you know from the origins of the steel report from the fact that steel's primary source wasn't even in russia that that his the the the, the primary sources subsources were just his childhood friends um riffing on stuff that they talked about in bars over beers and stuff uh that doesn't bother anybody the way the alpha server story which was taken seriously was investigated by the special counsel it was made up by a bunch of you know researchers so so to talk to talk specifically about the damage that has been done by this whole uh reign of error madness and deception my old boss my boss at the new republic the editor-in-chief wrote the initial story on the alpha server um mm. and 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 really yeah yeah frank foyer um oh and, god okay yeah and, and and he was the editor-in-chief of the new republic someone who edited my copy held some authority in the organization obviously he was the boss um and i remember when that story came out and it was a long one and it uh, was it was it August of 2016? Maybe um, it was, and it was it was the first almost platform like story that started the notion that there was a deep uh, connection between Trump and Putin. And I remember reading it and thinking, I, I, I can tell this isn't true. I can tell for a lot of reasons it isn't true. And going well, so is this guy going to go on when this is proved not true? Are journalists who have signed on to what almost instantly appeared to me to be a campaign effort to get Hillary elected, are are, are they going to face any consequences? I have yet to see any journalists face any consequences whatsoever. I, I, I can't really think of any. Can you? I mean, of the real big guys, Corn, Frank, 
the various Times reporters. Isakov, who's who's at least Isakov has at least come forward about some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mike Isakov has has said, you know, I don't think I would have done it the same way. Um, uh, yeah. Maybe I maybe I jumped to conclusions or was misled or something. You have an an untouched journalistic establishment, which was absolutely key to this whole thing because the the way this captured the public's imagination was through leaks that were then reported on geez some of the places like buzzfeed politics don't even exist anymore in other words there have been entire press organizations who have ended their life cycle in the time of this thing uh it's gone on for so long and one of my problems with the durham report is that it's so damned late it, it, it seems ridiculous that a that a report on election interference, which is what this was, should come a couple of elections later. I mean, is it not an urgent mission to make sure that that doesn't happen again? Um, you know, we're practically at our third election since then. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're just getting this now. And I, I, I'm, I'm, and I'm unclear on what in this report required all this time. Yeah, especially when you compare it with the Inspector General Michael Horowitz's report, which was, um, you know, also quite in depth, went over a lot of the same material, but came out in 2019. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't understand why uh, Dorm couldn't have uh, come out a little bit after that. Um, There isn't a whole lot of stuff that he uncovered or that he says that he uncovered or that that he's revealing that he uncovered that warranted all that extra time. I mean, there are are a few things that we didn't know. We didn't know about the engineering of the Alpha story. We didn't know about some of the hijinks involving uh, Igor Dank and Danchenko and all that. So there are some questions about what this report really is and why it was timed the way it was and what its purpose is. I get all that. There are going to be some people. If you're hearing this message, you're listening to the free version of America this week to hear the full version. And for more articles and content, please subscribe to racket news at com or racket.news.